Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. I mean, no, God is good. He is. He is. Good to have you here today. Um, you know, we've been in unity for a while. We're going to be in there a while. But, uh, you know, we started off with the beginning of unity, and the beginning of unity is, is really personal oneness. All unity in our relationships uh, all of it in our lives has to first begin with our personal relationship with Jesus and if we're unified, if we're one with him. And when I say oneness with him, I'm talking about being one in, in, with him in, our, in his nature, in his character, and in his word. And then we got into unity in the body of Christ several weeks ago, and we, we kind of got to this part about the, the uh, uh, ministry leadership gifts, um, and we've just been kind of stuck there a few weeks, and we're going we're gonna to be there a little bit longer Every time I go back into this, I just find more. And, you know, when you're, when you're uh, mining for truth in the word of God, you know, you never get to the end. And this is just one of those series that I feel like we need to keep mining until we just pull out as much as we possibly can. And then, you know, in a couple of years, if we do Ephesians again, we're going to find all different stuff, aren't we? That's just how the word of God is. It's amazing. Um, but we've, uh, that we, we got into unity uh, in the body of Christ, and, and uh, we specifically talked last week about the fivefold ministry leadership gifts, and we, we really focused in on the apostolic gifts as well as the prophetic gifts. And this week, I want to cover just one more the evangelist. This is going to be a pretty short one this morning. How many are got lots to do today, and you're happy it's going to be a short sermon? How many are just glad because you don't have to listen to me talk that long? Just seeing if anybody responded there. We're going to talk about the evangelists today and those, those evangelistic giftings, which are so important to the church. And so let's jump right in with Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. It's, we've read this verse before, and I, I don't think it's wrong to read it again. I mean, how many times you got to read it before you, you, you got it way deep down? I don't know. But now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, which we covered last week, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. What's the purpose of God giving these gifts? To equip and build up the church, right? Right, amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, he's on fire today. <laughs> That's just faith and action right there, right? So let's talk about the evangelist a little bit. The evangelist in the New Testament were considered godly ministers who were anointed and gifted by God to proclaim the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. They were godly ministers who were anointed and gifted by God to proclaim the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. And before I go any further, I want to ask, how many of you today within the body of Christ in this church right now, you have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, how many of you are ministers Raise your hand if you're a minister. I failed you all. Because if your hand didn't go up, you're missing the whole point of this. Every person in this room that knows Jesus Christ as their personal savior is a minister. You're not necessarily in full-time ministry. We mix that up in America. We've turned the pastor, we've turned the giftings all into offices and job positions, right? But I'm telling you, every person in this room is a minister. You are a minister. I'm gonna do it again. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a minister. Now say, at least I'm supposed to be. The word minister means servant. Are you a servant? How many servants do we have here? Okay, about half of your servants. The rest, I don't know what you are. Non-voting members, right? Every person is a minister, and that's, that's the place you have to start when you're, when you're reading this stuff. These were godly ministers who were anointed and gifted by God to proclaim the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, as gifts, remember that these are not necessarily positions. These are gifts given to the church. Although if someone contains strong evangelistic giftings, they may find themselves called to full-time ministry. But the gifting is the thing that's first. You might have a little bit of this gifting, just like all of them, or you might have a lot. And sometimes if someone has a lot, they're just used over and over and over in this until 
wham, bam, there's people that want to support them in that full-time type capacity. And someone we've all heard, we've heard of them, who had these gifts, was Billy Graham, right? How many know that Billy Graham was an evangelist? He was America's evangelist. Some people called him America's pastor because he was so evangelistic. And he preached to hundreds of millions of people in his lifetime that wanted to hear him preach. I, th I think that's interesting. People flocked to the stadiums to hear him preach. Millions of those came forward and prayed the sinner's prayer in his altar calls. And there's estimates all over the place, but some figure 200 million people. That's an evangelist of massive proportions. And people wanted to hear what he had to say. You know, I, th I think about this day and time, and, and we, we think about the message of the gospel and, and how many know there's a lot of people on there, if we, uh, out there that if we preach the gospel to them, it kind of falls on deaf ears. And we're like, what's the point? They're, the world is so lost, they don't hear anymore anyway. It's kind of like, why should I do this? Why, why, why should we support someone who does this? No one's getting saved anymore. And in fact, in the Assemblies of God, I think 50% or, or maybe just over 50% of all the Assemblies of God churches in America reported last year zero, and have for the last several years, zero salvations within their church. That's because this gift isn't given, isn't given opportunity or it's not recognized. Or those with the gift aren't stepping up to the plate and being the ministers that God called them to be. Not necessarily full-time positions, but ministers, servants that God has called them to be. We, I don't understand a church that has no salvations in a year. Can I just be brutally honest? That's not a church. That's a social club. That's not a church. Well, you don't understand our situation if I'm speaking to a, a church somewhere out there. I don't care what your situation is. If you're preaching the gospel in a year's time, someone is going to get saved. Someone's going to come to Christ. That's maybe a little harsh, but I think it's true. Billy Graham preached to hundreds of millions of people, and it, was, it wasn't necessarily a a better world back then. Sometimes we tend to think, oh yeah, back then there was no sin. And Yeah, it's a little more in your face today, I would say that, but there was just as much garbage going on back then as there is now. And he stood there, but because of that special anointing that God had on him, in those giftings of evangelism, people just wanted to hear what he had to say. You know how many presidents he sat with and talked to? God gave him so many inroads because he had these giftings People wanted to hear what he had to say. He had the good news, and that's predominantly what he preached, was just relationship with Jesus, relationship with Jesus, relationship with Jesus. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You gotta get saved, born again. You may not know this about Billy Graham, but his endorsement of the Jesus music of the late 60s and 70s, you know, up until the late 60s, early 70s, Music was always the same for, for a very long time in the church, right? It was hymns, and, and the hymns are wonderful. I'm not dissing hymns. But there was a younger generation that maybe needed something a little different back then just to wake them up. And they came out with this Jesus music, and it was considered heresy within the church. It was considered demonic. The beats were demonic. They were from, you know, heathen cultures and and it was just horrible stuff, right? You couldn't have that kind of music, contemporary music. Billy Graham endorsed it, and if he wouldn't have, I think music, maybe we might have a bigger fight in the church today about music than we even still do sometimes. He endorsed it. And then he did the same thing in the early 90s. I, I remember this personally. I was in a Christian rock band for a while. I, I've told you that, told you that a couple weeks ago. But in the early 90s, there was pastors, we would want to play at youth groups and churches, and they'd say, no, you, we don't want your kind of music. We don't want that stuff. And that was a little more rare than what it was in the 60s and 70s, of course. But then Billy Graham came out, and he had Michael W. Smith and DC Talk join him on stage at one of his evangelistic crusades in the early 90s. And those are some pretty, um, you know, 
contemporary type groups, right? He endorsed them. Why do I bring that up? Because as an evangelist, he endorsed that and he had such influence with people that he opened the door for that kind of music. I, I think this, it'd be, it'll be interesting to see in eternity someday, music would not be what it is in the church today if it wasn't for Billy Graham. He had that kind of influence. And, and personally, just from my own, my, my own life, that kind of music drew me in as a young man and pulled me closer to Jesus. Just did. How many can say that Christian music has been a wonderful part of their commitment to Christ? It's pulled them in. Look at all the hands. It's pulled them in. How many have 107, what is it, 107 point? I don't even change the station, so 107.1. How many have that on the radio all the time? Yeah, it pulls you in. And so if it wasn't for him, I don't know if that would even exist because people were going crazy in the church about it, but he had such influence that even his opinions pulled people into a stronger relationship with Christ. He had such uh, evangelistic gifts just oozing from him. And his whole life's work became evangelizing the world. And of course, this gift is displayed for us in the early church as well. After, after the martyrdom of, of Stephen, chapter 8 in the book of Acts talks about those early believers being persecuted and how they scattered and began preaching the gospel wherever they went. Philip, who was specifically mentioned, is often referred to as Philip the Evangelist within the Word of God. Even, even the Bible refers to him as that, by the way, in Acts 21.8. And he really is a great example of this gifting in the Bible, Philip. When you read his story, and we're going to look at chapter 8 here, just a few verses, but I, I just want to kind of pull some things out of there to say, this is what an evangelist is, biblically speaking. Number one, they tell people about Jesus who have never heard. You probably could guess that one. They tell people about Jesus who have never heard. They preach the gospel to those who have never heard it. Acts 8, 4 through 5 says this, But the believers who were scattered, Philip being one of them, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. And people were getting saved. They were coming into a personal relationship with Jesus because he had these evangelistic gifts and people wanted to hear what he had to say. It was a special anointing. It was awesome. And like I said before, there are those within the church, you might never be full-time ministry, but you have some of these gifts. You love to tell people about Jesus as your Savior, and they listen to you when you talk. I want, I want you to, to, as we're going through these, I'm teaching about the gift, but don't look at it from you sitting in a, in, in a chair uh, off to something in the distant past, you know, Philip or, or someone who's untouchable like Billy Graham. I want you to think about yourself. How much gifting do I have in this area? How many thought about that last week when we talked about apostles and prophets? You thought, boy, I have some of those giftings, I think. How many thought of that? No, nobody? Wah, wah. Some of you did because you talked to me about it. I want you to do the same with this. This is the application, if you will. Look at your life and say, okay, am, am, can I just be honest? People who, who are, they're, they're gifted in these things, sometimes in leadership ways, and they never, ever step into what God has given them. And they never fulfill what God has called them to fulfill. I think there are people who are used car salesmen who could sell you, you know, ice in Alaska or swampland in Florida or whatever the, the phrase is, that have the gift of gab, they have the gift of the sale, they have this ability to talk and people just listen to them. And I think, in some cases, those same people probably have evangelistic gifts that if God really got a hold of them and got a hold of those gifts, they would be powerhouses for Jesus and winning people to Christ. See, the world will steal those gifts and, and we can use those gifts sometimes for our own benefit, can't we? God wants us to use them for him and his kingdom. But these are people that, again, number one, they tell people about Jesus who have never heard. And we see that with Philip. He went to Samaria and started telling people about Jesus. Number two, people believed the message and were water baptized. This is kind of a, uh, a uh, uh, I, I guess, the result of, of someone being used in their evangelistic gifts. People not only wanted to, uh, or 
not only heard, and, and the evangelists didn't, always, didn't only just tell them, but people actually believed what they were saying. That's what I'm trying to get to. And they were water baptized. And we see this in Acts chapter 8, verse 6. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message. I think that's so cool how that relates to Billy Graham. Eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Verses 9 through 11 tell us that the people had been listening to a sorcerer in Samaria named Simon. They'd been following him and were amazed by him for years. And he performed these magic tricks and was referred to as the great one. Then we look at Acts 8.12. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. And we know that they were baptized biblically, right? So they believed and then were baptized. Pastor Jerry talked about that just a little bit ago. They believed first and then were baptized made a public confession of their faith. And the Bible tells us that Simon himself, the, the guy who was a sorcerer, who had power over the people because they, they, they believed his magic tricks. It tells us that Simon himself, he believed in the message that Philip was preaching, and he was saved, and he was even baptized. Which brings me to the third thing, that characteristic of evangelists. Signs and wonders follow them as they minister the gospel. This is a characteristic of an evangelist. Signs and wonders follow them as they minister to the gospel. You know, the Lord Jesus loves to have signs and wonders like put their, the, the stamp of approval on the true message of his gospel. Do you believe that's true? Man, are you awake today? Signs and wonders. They're characteristic of the evangelist. If you look at eight, Acts 8, 7 through 8, many evil spirits were cast out. Still talking about Philip's work in Samaria. There were, many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. Can you imagine that scene? Boy, if I went to a church like that, I think I'd leave. Would we? That'd be weird. All oh, that screaming, I don't get that. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. Man, people were coming to church in walkers and canes, and then they were running out of there. So there was great joy in that city. Signs and wonders seemed to follow wherever the gospel was preached, and that's what evangelists do. They preach the gospel. Number four, in the New Testament, those gifted with evangelistic giftings also made a point to see new believers filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit since you believed? Are you baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Oh, now you're getting weird, Pastor Barry. No, I'm not. Just reading the Bible. Acts 8, 14 through 17 says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John down there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had accepted the message of the gospel. They were saved. They were baptized, but the Holy Spirit hadn't come in his fullness upon them yet. It's what the word of God says right here. Verse 17, then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. So Peter had evangelistic things. He was also an apostle. But again, you don't have to just be one. You could be a mixture of a lot of it, right? Peter and John were, were acting as apostolic ministers who came down there who also had giftings, evangelistic giftings, and they saw the Holy Spirit come upon them. And I imagine, it doesn't say it verbatim, but I imagine Philip was right there with them ministering that same those same kinds of prayer and seeing the same kinds of results. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, and this is right after Peter preached his message after the Holy Spirit came upon them in the upper room and they went outside and they began to uh, 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 preach. He began to preach to, to people and like 3,000 people got saved that day. Pretty awesome. And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And he says, and be baptized in the name of, the, of, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Acts 19, 1 through 6, while Paul, or I'm sorry, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul, the Apostle Paul, traveled the interior regions until he reached Ephesus. Okay, this is the, we're in the book of Ephesians. This is, this is the city, Ephesus, on the coast where he found several believers. And he said this, this is such an interesting verse to me. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them? They said, no, we, we they, no, they replied. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. He's like, well, if you're believers, then what, what, baptized, what, what baptism did you experience? And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were rebaptized, by the way, into the name of the Lord Jesus, like we are baptized. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. It's pretty cool. There's three baptisms in that little section, right? There's John's baptism, there's the baptism into the name of Jesus, and then we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All in one little thing. But Paul here was an apostle. We know that. We talked about that last week. But here, his evangelistic gifts were also at work. I mean, yes, he, he was preaching the gospel wherever he went. He had those gifts. But you see, they, they, were, uh, they were believers who had not who had not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. So again, in the New Testament, those gifted with evangelistic gifts and giftings also made it a point to see new believers filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think that's an important thing. And remember, evangelists are given to the church to equip us. All the gifts are given to the church to equip us and build us up until we come to such unity that we are mature in Christ, living up to his standard. People that reject the authority of these leaders, the leaders that have been called and gifted, are by all practical purposes resisting unifying maturity. I want you to understand this. Shake your head like this and be like, blah, blah, blah. don't ever play that in slow motion because my jaws will go. I want you to hear this. People that reject the authority, because God gives leadership authority, right? Now, authority shouldn't lord it over anybody, and they shouldn't run around and be like, I'm your authority. You know, it's not like that. Because if they are, then, then don't, don't, don't get underneath there. Don't submit to that authority. But there is an authority to come underneath. In fact, never follow a leader that doesn't come under authority themselves. Never follow a leader that can't come under authority that they're supposed to come under. But people that reject the authority of these leaders that have been called and gifted are by all practical purposes resisting unifying maturity. A church that pushes back against the authority of those that have, that have these ministry leadership gifts are by all practical purposes resisting the very unity that God wants them to walk in as a church. When these gifts are not, again, lording over people or, or, or these people that have these gifts are not power tripping because of their own leadership positions, when those with leadership giftings are walking in humility and are not abusing those they are, they are supposed to be serving by holding them hostage or controlling them because of those gifts, the people are to allow themselves and even seek to be equipped by them as well as built up in their faith. That's what that verse means. I've been reading this verse over and over and over and over for near a month. And it's amazing to me how the church as a whole misses this. These gifts are given so that the church can be equipped and built up until they're unified. It's going to keep happening until they come to such unity, such unity that God calls them mature. And I've been saying that for three weeks. We want to be mature in Christ. Guess what? You can't be mature without unity. I don't care how you slice or dice the scripture. Unity is key. You know what also is key about this? And I might get into this a little in a minute here. But it's, it's interesting to me that unity is hard, right? In the body. How many know it's hard? It's hard to, to sometimes be around each other or others that we don't care for personality-wise. But God calls us to unity so that we can become mature. 
there are those that probably just say, you know what, it's local church thing, this organized religion thing, this, this local body of believers. I, I don't know. It seems like it's just a big pain. I see too many fallacies. I see too many people failing. I, I see too many people not, not, not doing what they say or following through with what they say they're going to do. It just seems like all, uh, just a big old sham. They're all just hypocrites anyway, right? How many have ever heard that stuff, right? So I, instead, I'm just going to, I'm going to put my arms around my own family. I'm going to put my arms around my own people, my own friends, and we're just going to do church ourselves. I'm going to gather in the people that I like and have church. And I'm not saying that that's all bad and that's all wrong or that you're a terrible person if you've ever even been a part of something like that. I'm just saying that unity in the body is hard and we shouldn't shy away from it. We should jump into it and work at it because unity, I mean, these gifts are given until we are unified. Such unity exists that we're mature in the faith. That's the scripture we've been reading over and over. Does that make sense? Oh, but it's so much easier just to close my door and I've said this before, I think, I think the invention of garage door openers has really hurt communities. Because what do we do? We don't even know our neighbors anymore. We pull up to our driveway, we open the door, we drive and we shut the door. Right? Now we have doorbells with cameras on them. We've had them for a while, but we can see who's ringing the doorbell so we can hide. <laughs> You're laughing because you do it. We don't want community, just... Us four and no more. Hold the, hold, the, hold the ship, you know. And God's called us to go out into this miserably dark, greasy, sinful world and be a light. All of us are called to that, by the way. Some of us have a bunch of evangelistic gifts that make us able to do that and help us to be successful in that. There are those whose evangelistic leadership ministry gift will, will open doors for them to travel and speak and even be supported financially to do this work. But just because you may not have them to that level to where you're full-time doesn't mean that you shouldn't be active in the gifts you have. There's a lot of people in the church that have these gifts and are called to support the evangelistic efforts of their own local body of believers. And I've met both. When I was in South Dakota... We had an evangelistic couple come to the church and minister, and uh, some of you may know of them or even know them personally, but it was Larry and Gloria Lundstrom. Do you guys, anybody know that name? Might know the Lundstroms. I know some of you might, Sisseton, South Dakota, is that where they're kind of based out of? Whole Lundstrom family, but Larry and Gloria, he was the brother of Lowell Lundstrom. And I know Lowell was a good friend of my father-in-law's, but anyway, they came into, uh, they came into our church and they pulled up late Saturday afternoon in their big motor coach, and I'll, I'll never forget it because the coach was so big, and our parking lot wasn't that great, and it was asphalt, and, and uh, I just saw that it was a really hot day, and I remember the asphalt just sinking on their wheels, and I thought, we need to get some plywood for that thing. But when he left, you know, there was four potholes then we had in our parking lot. Low, I, I don't hold, or, uh, Larry, I don't hold you accountable for that. That's just our bad parking lot up there. But um, they came in late Saturday afternoon. They pulled this big motor coach in, and and um, he started to tell me what was going to happen the next day during service. He said, I'm going to tell some stories. And then Gloria and I are going to sing. And I'm going to share some more stories. And I'm going to tell a few jokes. And we'll sing some more. And I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about Jesus. And then I'm going to call people to come to the altar. And a bunch of them are, you know, they're going to come forward and they're going to get saved. And I just thought, really? This seems kind of cheesy to me. Songs, stories, jokes, a little bit about Jesus and people are just going to get saved? Is it that simple? And I have to admit, I really didn't believe him. I thought, oh, great, we're going to have a cheesy service tomorrow. You're out of touch, man. He told me that his anointing wasn't in the preaching. He goes, I'm not, I'm not a big preacher. 
He said his wife enjoyed story, him, him and his wife enjoyed storytelling and singing, entertaining a little bit, and then just talking about how wonderful Jesus had been to them. And that his anointing was gonna, it, it, it was for him, was in his altar call, that's what he said. He said that he knew he wasn't a great preacher, but God used him to bring people into relationship with Jesus all the time. First time commitments as well as rededications. Well, Sunday came, the morning came, and guess what? He and his wife did their thing. Everything happened just as he said it would. I thought his stories were fine. I didn't really find his jokes that funny. Their singing wasn't my style at all. But I have to tell you, my tears were real when I saw our altars full of those that were giving their hearts to Christ. And I was like, what? How does that work? How does that happen? He had evangelistic giftings. And it was recognized by those in the body of Christ to support him and go and evangelize full time. And you know what was really cool? He knew his giftings. And then I, I remember recalling back, saying, he told me, I'm not a great preacher. I'm going to tell some stories, and he was like this, and, you know. <laughs> Want to buy a watch? You know, it kind of was like that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. Sorry, Lowell. Or, sorry, Larry, if you're listening. But it just seemed kind of weird to me. But I'm telling you, he knew himself. He knew his own giftings. And man, when he just invited people to come forward, I was like, how come I can't do that? Right? I didn't have the giftings that he had. Just this unbelievable evangelistic gifting that was so cool to watch. And the altars had people who were rededicating and people who were dedicating, you know, dedicating their life for the first time. So that's a person who's got a lot of that, right? Then there's, there's people in our church, too, that, and there's people in this church. Um, I like to tell stories about that place because then I'm not pointing anybody out here, but because um, I know some of you have evangelistic gifts here. But I got to tell you about a guy up there named Belden, and he's passed on to be with the Lord now, but Belden was a soul winner. Man, he was a soul winner. He wasn't in full-time ministry. He, he, he told me once that he, he was having a bad week, and I'm like, why are you having a bad week? Because I haven't met anybody to the Lord yet this week. That's how he lived his life. He would literally read the newspaper to see who had been admitted to the hospital. And they used to have that in the papers in smaller towns. They would have, like, who had been admitted. They didn't violate HIPAA by saying what they were in for. <laughs> you know, but they would say, this, this person was admitted, this person was admitted. And he'd read those, and he'd look at them, and then he'd go into the hospital, and if he knew the name, he'd go to their room, and he'd talk to them about Jesus while they're in the hospital. And if he didn't have anybody that he knew, he'd go to the front desk and he'd ask the nurse, hey, is there anybody who could use a visit? And they'd say, yeah, someone over here is, hasn't had any visitors. And, and he'd walk in and he'd say, hey, how you doing? And he'd just start talking to him about Jesus. That's what he did. You know, some people go hunting. Some people go golfing. All good things. I'm not dissing those things. If you hunt or golf, go to it. Some people fish. Some ladies shop. And we do all these fun things, right? And they're, they're good. I'm not dissing those things, right? But some people's pastime is winning souls. And that was Belden. It was, like his, it was like his extracurricular activity was to go out and win people to Jesus. That's amazing. He had evangelistic giftings. It was so cool to watch. And he'd say, you got to meet this guy. He just accepted Jesus as his personal savior. I loved Belden. I loved to hang around him. He was a farmer by occupation. So he had time during, when his, after planting and after harvesting, he'd have time to just go do whatever he needed to do evangelistically, and he'd just do it. He had evangelistic gifts, and he was a leader in our church in evangelism. Wasn't a full-time guy. He was a minister because he knew his gift, and he served within that gift. He knew how to talk to people. He knew how to listen. And he knew how to lead them to the Lord. And I'm convinced that he led more people to the Lord than some evangelists who are full-time in his life. You know, it's interesting to me. Um, I, I, I'm going to tell you a side story. Can I tell you a side story real quick? Sure. Janet's always good for a story, right? So I talked to you about Pastor Calloway, who I used to work under. He was former pastor here, and he was an apostle, kind of strong and tough and just, you know, say things and not make a lot of friends saying them sometimes. But I remember I was in his office one time, and an evangelist who was full-time called, and he goes, 
Hey, wait, and he knew, the, he knew the guy, I guess. He knew his name, or he knew of him, and, or knew him, I don't know. But he goes, stay in here, because I, I was going to get up and leave. And he called him, and he, and he put it on speakerphone, and the, the guy was like, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I'm an evangelist, and I'm going to come and do some meetings in your church, and we're going to get some people saved. And then, you know, he just had that thing going, right? And I'm not dissing this guy's ministry at all. I'm not. But Pastor Calloway, being the apostle he was, he says, after the guy got done with his spiel, Pastor Calloway just said, how many, people, how many people have you won to the Lord in the last week? And the guy goes, oh, I haven't had any services in the last week. He goes, that's not what I asked you. How many people, and that's just how he said it. How many people have you won to the Lord this last week? He goes, well, well none. He goes, you're not an evangelist. Goodbye. He hung up the phone. Now, that's a little harsh. I probably wouldn't do it that way. But I learned something. That was an apostolic leader holding an evangelist accountable to what he said he was. And if you're an evangelist, you don't need a meeting to win people to Jesus. You're just going to be out there leading people to Jesus. Those giftings exist aside, apart from whether you're full-time or not, or have some kind of position or some kind of ministry. I'm telling you, church, please wake up to this. Wake up to this idea that you have ministry leadership gifts. They're oozing out of some of you, but you're waiting until you have a position to use those gifts. And I'm telling you, you don't need a position to use those gifts. You don't need a position. I never tried to become a pastor. Never did. I just kept walking in those gifts. And the little bit I knew how to do. And I said yes a couple too many times, and here I am. <laughs> we say no all the time, don't we? Quit saying no to the divine appointments that God has for you to be used in these ministry leadership gifts. Well, I'll never be a leader. I don't have the right last name. It's just all a social thing, you know. You gotta, you gotta know people, and then you can be... Hogwash! Just allow God to start using you. It's that simple. It's that practical. And some of you are great soul winners, or could be great soul winners. Can I just tell you this from somebody, and I learned this maybe in college when I, when I was first in campus, Crusade for Christ, and that's all we did. That's all we did is, is set up meetings with people and witness to them. And we had, like, had classes on how to witness and all that. Winning someone to Jesus is the most awesome thing you will ever get to be a part of. You, when you're talking to someone about how the goodness of God has run after you and caught up to you and overwhelmed you and saved you from the pits of hell, when you can tell your story about how God has been so good to you, to somebody else, and you see the light bulb go on in their eyes and they begin to tear up and they begin to say, well, I, I want what you have. And when you start to share with them how to do that, you might even get to pray with them. And when you pray with them and their life is changed forever, not only this life, but their eternity is changed forever, God used you in that moment to change somebody forever. Do you know how exciting that is when you're a part of something like that? Well, I don't know if I have time. I got a lot to do, you know. I'm a busy man. You're, you're missing it. There's nothing more exciting than leading somebody to Christ. I don't, you might have a smidgen of evangelistic gifts. That's okay, use them. You might find out if you use a little, God might give you more. Isn't that a principle in the word of God? I wonder if that applies to giftedness. Those with these ministry leadership gifts are so important in carrying out the very purpose of the church. If you have evangelistic gifts, then use them. There are as many ways to bring people to Christ as there are people, and this can be done personally or in reference to the local church you're a part of and the things that we do. You know, maybe, maybe some of you want to get together for connection for, for, for uh, summer or life groups, summer edition, right? That's great. You should do that. You should do that a ton. Maybe some of you want to get together, you two, and then invite another couple that doesn't know Jesus and then turn it into an evangelistic session where you bring them into the kingdom. What if you did that? That 50 bucks is kind of nice, right? 
What if you bought your own and used that to buy a couple that needed to hear about Jesus? Come on, church. We got to step up, right? We don't pay people to do the job for us when we're called to do it as the church. Every believer is commissioned by Christ to go and make disciples. We know that, the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world. So we all need to be a part of evangelistic work, whether that's sharing Christ with your neighbor or living out in front of fam- living it out in front of family members or coworkers. Those with these leadership gifts, however, I mean, if they have them in droves, they have a special anointing that just draws people in. This is why being a part of a local church can be so important. We can lean on one another's leadership giftings and fulfill our duty in making disciples of all nations. So maybe you're a little nervous to do that, right? Maybe you need to go on a missions trip. We're, we're going to be taking more and more missions trips. We're done with COVID, right? COVID's over a long time ago. We're done with that. We need to go on more missions trips. I know a whole group's going to El Salvador this summer, right? How many are going to El Salvador? Raise your hand. Bunch, raise them high, like you're really going. Yeah. It's more going. Yeah, one over here. One over here. You're not, you're not even a youth, and you're going, how'd you get on? You just said yes, right? Yeah. You want it in, yeah. You said yes. Say yes enough times, you don't, who knows where, where you're going to end up. <laughs> Mission trips are awesome. I, they, they just are. You haven't lived, and ask my daughter Anna, you haven't lived until you go door to door on the Indian reservation talking to people about Jesus, and they pee on you for it. Right? I mean, I've never been peed on for the gospel. You have. That's a feather in your cap. Maybe. Well, I don't want to do that. If they're going to pee on me, they don't deserve to hear the gospel. I want to be able to lean on each other. You, you go on a missions trip and you're with some people who are evangelistic, you'll learn things. And that, that's, it, it's a lot harder to win people to Jesus if you avoid organized church and ministry leadership gifts altogether that, that God has given. That's hard to be unified in the body. But he gives us these gifts to lean on one another, not to fight with each other because we have different viewpoints. I know I've been camping on these a long time, but, th- but they're so important to, to reference to the unity that God desires for his church. And as we approach the end of this age, the unity of the body is absolutely essential, church. Again, these gifts are given by God to equip and build up the church until they become, until the church becomes so unified that it's mature. And it's interesting that these verses in Ephesians seem to lump unity and maturity together as if maturity in the Lord is actually a byproduct of unity. Maturity in the Lord is a byproduct of unity. I'm gonna, again, I'm going to read it. I haven't read it yet today, but verse 13, chapter 4 in Ephesians. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith. This will continue. That meaning the gifts will be poured out on this church until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full measure and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. I mean, I'm for a church full of mature mature people, aren't you? And that has nothing to do with age, by the way. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching or doctrine. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love for one another. And let me tell you something. The key to unity in the body is recognizing, obviously these gifts, that's what we're talking about, but it's recognizing that we all have flesh. 
I'm imperfect. Well, I'm going to find a pastor who's perfect, and I'm going to send her to his ministry or her ministry until, until I, I see something wrong, and then I'm out of there, baby. Well, you're going to be out of there a lot because you're not going to find a, pa- a perfect pastor. You're not going to find a perfect person that's used in the apostolic giftings or the prophetic giftings. You're not going to find a perfect evangelist. I mean, in the hand analogy, remember the evangelist is the tall man for a reason. I know a guy who is an evangelist. Part of the reason why I'm in ministry today, a big part of the reason. And uh, he was a cow barn preacher, they called him. He's an old, old guy. He's passed on to be with the Lord now. Great, great, funny, unbelievable evangelistic gifts. Well, he stepped out of evangelism for a short time, and he told me about it, to pastor a church. And he pastored the church, and he says, within two weeks, I just about killed the church completely because I shouldn't have been pastoring a church. Why? Because evangelists say whatever they want, and then they blow the place up, and they get out of town before the pieces fall. (laughs) And that's their ministry, and it's wonderful. It's great. They shake it up, right? They shake things up. But you don't want them as a pastor. (laughs) Make no mistake, church, flying solo in our faith is much easier than being a part of a body and and working at this thing called unity with one another. But unity has to be present if we're going to be considered mature in the Lord. You can't necessarily be mature without fellowshipping with one another and working at unity. Everybody look around the room. Look around. Look at somebody that you don't like. Come on, just stare them down. No, just, just look around. As you glance around, you might find somebody you don't know. Maybe it's somebody that you don't care for. Maybe you don't know them well enough to know whether you care for them or not. And you don't have to be everybody's buddy, buddy, best friend. That's not what I'm saying. But at least appreciate each other enough to know that they have something that you might need. They might have some giftedness in an area that you don't have. They might have some understanding. They might have some experience. They might have all sorts of things that you don't have. And they could help, if your attitude is right, to bring you to maturity if you work at the unity thing. Saying. I mean, we can choose to bypass one another, neglect the fellowship of the believers, live as an island under ourselves, spiritually speaking, but it seems to me that we will never come to maturity with that attitude. We need each other. I have some evangelistic gifts. There's no doubt I do. I love events, evangelistic events. I love doing outreaches. I love sitting down with people. I, I would meet with people any day of the week. I, I told my wife this before, and please understand. I'm going to say something, but take it in context of what I've been teaching about the last few weeks. I would rather, I could be careful to say this. She knows what I'm going to say. I would rather sit and talk with lost people about Jesus than sit and talk with people who know Jesus and try to help them with their problems. Well, that doesn't make me very pastoral, probably. But I'm just telling you, I want to know myself well enough to, I I love to talk to people about Jesus. That's that evangelistic gift. Are you going to fire me because I said that? (laughs) Besides, there's hope that the person who doesn't know Jesus is going to change. There's not much hope. No, never mind. I'm not going to say it. Um, (laughs) People can change. But I have to lean on some of those other giftings. It's smarter for me to do that than to try to do something that maybe I don't have the gifting in. I'm going to close with this. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Just think about this in reference to what we've been teaching. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and Life Group Summer Edition. That's not in there, but it should be. And to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. I think it's interesting that signs and wonders came after people were working at unity. 
preaching this little bit. And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Sounds like a commune, doesn't it? And not really, it's not really that. But they met at homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And they were just there for one another. They were there for one another. I, I love that. Verse 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship, added to their number, some versions say, those who were being saved. That church is such a revival verse if I've ever heard it in my life. It's obvious that those with evangelistic giftings were in their proper place within the church and that they were being given ample opportunity to share their faith. All the ministry leadership gifts were in full operation in this scenario. And they lived in that place of unity and they lived in that place of spiritual awakening. The kingdom was being built. It was the very infancy of the church, no doubt. But unity Unity was the foundation to the beginning of the church, at least in some ways. Does that give you something to think about this week? Because my desire is, is that if, as we talk about these gifts, that you would go, Lord, if, if there's giftings in me that have been dormant because I, I just haven't realized it, or I've just put everybody who's using those gifts on a pedestal and I can never be that, then Lord, show me what those gifts are so I can be used like never before. I hope you leave this place today thinking of yourselves as ministers, servants, servants to the world out there. And if you're gifted in apostolic or giftings or in prophetic giftings or if you're gifted in evangelistic giftings, how many would say right now, and, and this is, I, I just want to be, it's 1130, I, gotta, I thought I was going to preach short today, I guess I didn't. I just got going and didn't stop. Sorry about that. Raise your hand if you think you have some, at least some evangelistic gifts. Raise them up high. That's you. Raise them up, hold them up high. I just want to see them. There are a lot of people here who evangelistic gifts. And I, 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 I know some of you, and I'm, I'm going, yeah, yeah, you do, you do, you do. Todd, you certainly do. I mean, you said this to me before, but you had to go through a horrific accident and be in a wheelchair before you used those gifts. And you've even said, I'm thankful for that experience so that I could be used like this. I hope, I hope and pray that you allow God to speak to you this week about gifts that you have. Evangelistic gifts, sure. God, if that's, don't get me wrong, if you feel like I have zero evangelistic gifts, I don't, that still doesn't get you off the hook for sharing the gospel, by the way. Then find somebody who does and go along with them, right? And be their prayer support behind the, behind the scenes. But it doesn't get you off the hook. Let's pray. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.